The scripture reading for today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to read this for us. It's 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. For consider it your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became uh, to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, I think some of you might know Pastor Francis uh, from a couple of times that he visited Good News Church. Uh, since 2007, he's been the senior pastor at uh, Sojourner Church in New Jersey. Um, he's married. He's got two teenage uh, kids. And I think that he was here when Sam was either ordained or installed as the head pastor of Good News Church. So he's been here for very important uh, events for uh, Good News' church or Good News' life. So with that, I'm going to hand it off to uh, Pastor Francis, who's going to deliver the word of God for us today. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm glad you can hear me. Uh, sometimes I have technical difficulties. Uh, it's good to see everybody here, uh, even if it's online. Um, I wish it was under better circumstances. Uh, pastor Sam, your pastor, emailed me and told me he's sick and, um, you know, he's, he's a good and faithful brother. And so um, I keep him in prayer, as I'm sure you guys do too. And I hope that uh, through this time that he will recover quickly and be back to serving you guys, um, his church, uh, and faithful to his ministry as he is. Um, thanks for the introduction. Um, what I decided to do and I decided to share with you guys uh, is a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. And... Um, the reason I picked this passage is because the book of 1 Corinthians, it, it's it's very relevant, I think, because of the fact that the church in Corinth, uh, its culture and its surrounding culture is very similar to ours. Even though this book was written a long time ago, um, I think some of the situations that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians are very relatable to us. And so I just decided to just share a brief passage here uh, from verse 26 to verse 31. And I've got just basically three points. One, who were these Christians in Corinth? And two, how did they become Christians? And three, why? Uh, why did God do it the way he did? Why did God uh, save these people the way he did? All right. So those three points really quickly. Who were the Christians in Corinth? <clears throat> how did they become Christians? And uh, why did God do it the way he did? First, let's look at this. And as we look at this passage, I don't know if you have it in front of you or, you know, Hopefully you have something in front of you because, you know, I could be lying and then, you know, you wouldn't know. So uh, just to, you know, keep me accountable, but just to show you there, we'll zoom in here on the passage here. And we look at verse 26 and we're looking at who these people were. And Paul says here in this passage, he says, not many of them were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. And Paul here is not trying to be offensive. Yeah, he's just stating the facts here. These people in the church of Corinth, they, they weren't the smartest. They, they weren't the most powerful, nor did they have a lot of high people in status or people in high positions. And so when you read Acts chapter 18, 
you read more about what Paul did here. He was there for about a year and a half. And most of these people in this church, they belong to pretty much what we could call the working class. Uh, they were your modern day uh, blue collar types. Some, some were even slaves. Now, there were a few exceptions. Uh, there's this person named Crispus and this guy named Sosthenes, who was introduced in, uh, earlier in this chapter, uh, who were probably rulers of, of the synagogue. And maybe there was this woman, Chloe, who's mentioned in verse 11 of chapter 1. She had some servants, which may show that she had some wealth and prominence and was part of the church as well. So there are a few people here who are higher up on the social ladder, but Paul says not many in verse 26, not many. And what's more, and if we look at verse 27, more than that, they were foolish, he says. They were weak, they were low, they were even despised in the eyes of the world. Overall, you could basically say that they were nothings. They, they were nobodies. And, and, and so it's not the most flattering description of a church that Paul says he loves. But this was the church that was in Corinth. Uh, I'm sorry, there's a few people who say they can't hear me. How's that? Is that better? Can you raise your hand if you can hear me? Okay, so let me try and speak a little bit closer here, okay? Um, and so the people in this church, they, they, they were, uh, as Paul describes it, they weren't the most educated. Uh, they weren't the most, uh, I guess, successful people in their lives. And uh, this was the church in Corinth that I think is filled with people that I think most of us, if not all of us, uh, are not really familiar with in our daily lives. Most of us here, I think, and I believe we're highly educated. We're very bright people. Many of us are in positions of leadership at work. Uh, none of us are, I think, really that poor. And certainly no one here is a slave. And so I wonder how you would feel about a church like this, that if you are looking to visit this church in Corinth and you check out their website and you click on their About Us page, and you learn a little bit about these people and you read the description and it says something like this, hey, welcome to the church in Corinth. We're not the brightest or the best. Uh, a few of us have high school diplomas. We're not that rich. We're not that powerful. No one here is really that famous. In fact, most of us are foolish and weak and despised as nobodies. Hope to see you on Sunday. Uh, how would that sound to you? Would that be a church that, that you would be interested in? And then honestly speaking, I think many of us probably wouldn't. Uh, we wouldn't be. We wouldn't want to be identified with a group like this. We, we'd, probably look, we'd probably look at the next church. But this was the church that Paul loved and valued. And this was the church that, that God loved and he also valued and what we learned here is this, that what God values, what God loves, is oftentimes different from the world and what it values. In verse 26, Paul says this, not many were wise, not many were powerful, meaning there weren't that many influential people there. Not many were noble, meaning that there weren't that many people who were high-born or had positions of high status. And if you look at the world, there are at least three things that determine what goodness or what greatness is. Number one, we, we appreciate wisdom, education, and brains. Number two, power and influence, popularity and fame. Uh, number three, uh, high positions, high rank. Uh, these are things that we naturally value, which we respect or honor in our world. And the, the people in Corinth, they weren't that. They were undesirable. They were unlovable. They, they were unattractive. And so this is the kind of church that Paul had planted for the year and a half that he was there. 
Now, the question here is, the second point is this, how? How did the Corinthians become believers at all? And the answer that you're given is in verse 27. And it's a very important word here that begins verse 27. And this word, but, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And so as we zoom out from this passage, what, we, what you see here is a paradox that the way God does things and sees things is oftentimes different from the way the rest of the world and sometimes us see things and does things. What God values, what he prizes, is sometimes the very opposite of what we value or what we prize. Every kingdom has certain values, things we consider uh, important, worthy of our applause, worthy of our attention and time. And those things we put at the top of our list. And then there are things we put at the bottom of our list, the things that we don't see as good or don't see as, as important, things that we, that we want to stay away from. I don't know if some of you know who Paul Lee is, but Paul Lee is a missionary in Cambodia that we support. He works for MTW in the PCA. And uh, I visit him several times. And he also serves not only in Cambodia, but also in other areas of Southeast Asia. And one of the areas he visits is also Vietnam. And I also got to visit him in Vietnam. Having been to Vietnam and Cambodia, I had to say to him, I said, Paul, Vietnam is so much better than Cambodia. <laughs> Why would you want to go to Cambodia? Why didn't you go to Vietnam? Why would you do that, right? Uh, why would you choose to go to that place instead of this place, which is much, much more advanced in many ways, much more comfortable in many ways? Why would you go? Because you see, the reason I think this way is that on top of my list, on top of my list is comfort, comfort. I am a creature of comfort, and that's at the top of my list. And for some of you, maybe the top of your list is success, or maybe it's recognition, or maybe it's wealth or, or, or health. And at the bottom of our list, maybe it's things like weakness or, or, or poverty or exclusion or even sacrifice. So the first things on the top of our list become priorities for us, and we do everything we can to avoid those latter things. But when you look at our passage in verse uh, 27, but God, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And immediately we see this, that the principles of God's kingdom are different from the principles of the world. Everywhere in the world, it says this, if you want to be great, uh, this is what you have to do. This, this is where you need to be. This is what you have to accomplish. If you want to be respected, okay, if you want to be loved, if you just want to be even accepted, then just do this. Be more like this. Talk more like this. And it's a lot of work, isn't it? But the gospel and Christianity, I think, is very different. How do I know this? Because think about this. How do people like the people in Corinth, people who are considered insignificant, people without resources, people who are not very educated, how do they accomplish anything great in this world? They can't earn anything for themselves. They cannot accomplish or achieve anything on their own. But verse 27, but God, but God, he chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. He chooses the low and the despised. How did the Corinthian believers come to be believers at all? And then if you look at verse 30, it says this, because of him, 
you are in Christ Jesus. Not because of you, not even because of Paul, but because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. This is the principle, not of work, but it's a principle of grace. It's the wisdom of God that Paul talks about that's different from the wisdom of the world. In the world, it's the strongest, it's the fastest, it's the smartest, and it's the prettiest. It's the most self-sufficient and the independent that are in. But in God's world, it seems to be saying here, especially in Corinth, it's the insignificant. It's the weak, it's the foolish, it's the unable that depend not on themselves, but on God and the grace of the Father and the work of the Son. They're the ones that seem to be in. You and I, we might be rich, or at least well-off, relatively speaking. You might be highly esteemed, self-sufficient kind of person. You might be a strong and even decent person in the eyes of your peers. But if you and I are Christians today, it is in fact because we are cosmic charity cases. You're a cosmic charity case, utterly and spiritually threadbare, holy and dependent, bereft of any spiritual resources. That's how we are in the eyes of God. And I wonder for many of us who live on the other uh, social spectrum, on the other end of that spectrum in society, compared to these people in Corinth, do you see yourself like this? I wonder if in our affluent culture today, can you still say, I'm nothing? Uh, it means nothing compared to knowing God's grace. In the early first half of the 18th century, there was this woman named Selena Hastings, and she was the Countess of Huntingdon in one of the, uh, uh, she was one of the great evangelical noble women in England um, during the first half of the 18th century. And she used to say this, she used to say that she knew that she was going to get to heaven thanks entirely to the letter M to the letter M. And when she was asked what she meant, she would turn to our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to verse 31, and she would read verse 27, and it would read, not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. And she'd say this, it doesn't say not any, it says not many. She solely got into heaven on the account of the letter M. She understood actually that her high social status plays no part in securing her eternal destiny. For that, she knew that she had to look on the free grace of a sovereign God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is who they were, unlovely, unimportant, undesirable, and this is how they were converted. God chose them, he called them to himself, and he united them to his son, Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, the third point here is this, why? Why this way? Why were they saved? And you look at here in verse 29, we're given the answer, verse 29, two reasons, verse 29 to verse 31, and the first reason is this, so that no human wisdom or no human being might boast in the presence of God. The reason that God chose this way, the reason that he chose the foolish, chose the weak, uh, chose those who are unlovable, un unattractive, is that so no human being may boast in the presence of God. 
Now think about this. You and I, maybe we could boast if you felt like you were a success in what you did. You could say, I did it. You might even boast in your ability, you know, in, in who you know. You might boast in your background, maybe, maybe your education or whatever, I guess, position people give you in the world. But no one who ever became a Christian said, I did it. Not, not even we did it. Uh, not God, I did 50%, you did 50%. It's what we say. What do we say? We say God did it. Verse 30, because of him, because of his grace. And so no one can boast. And he deserves all the credit. Now, this is, I think, what many of you already know. But let me just summarize it this way. God makes sure that he gets 100% of the glory by making sure you and I get 100% of the blessing by saving us through his grace so that no one can boast in his presence except to boast in him, verse 31. And that's why he deserves our worship, okay? And so we know that's, the why, that's one reason why he does it this way. But secondly, more importantly and practically, it's this. Look at verse 30 again, and he says this, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God who became for us wisdom from God. Let's be clear here. Truth is what we ought to believe. But wisdom is how you apply truth in your daily lives. How do you apply the truth of the gospel in your life? How does Christ become your wisdom? You were saved by his grace, and now he has become your wisdom. How does that look like? What does that look like? And one way here that uh, we see this is already what we've been talking about is this. Christ becomes your wisdom when your value and what your values change. It's found in what we value. And for Christ in the kingdom of God, what we're learning here already is that compared to the values of the world, they are being reversed. If you live for happiness, if you live for recognition, if you live for wealth or health or a successful career, I'm going to be very honest. These things, if you work hard, they, they will pay off. They will pay off. They will give you results here and now. No doubt living this way in this world makes sense. In fact, I'll go so far as to say it's natural to live this way, to work hard, to, to make these things priority in your life, and make them pay off. It's natural. In fact, we could say it's biological, right? What does biology say today? If you're, if you're an evolution theory kind of person, you say this, it's survival of the fittest. And that means in our culture, it's the strongest. It's the richest. It's the prettiest. It's the most powerful. Nobody ever says it's survival of the weakest, right? That would be unnatural in our world. Why would anyone value weakness? I mean, why would you do this? But the catch here is this, that if you live for these things alone, here and now, the problem is that they're ultimately temporary. You might be filled now, but you'll be empty later. If you build your life here on these things now, you might get results now, but eventually things crumble. Beauty will eventually fade. Money will eventually be spent. People you love will eventually pass. Even your achievement and power will be eventually eclipsed by something or someone else. 
And here you have this person, Jesus Christ. He comes into this world. He lived the life that he did. He touched lepers, right? He gave himself to the poor. He died on the cross. He came as a poor man. He rode into town on a borrowed donkey. He ate his last meal in a borrowed room. He became, he, be, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He gave up everything. And what you see here then is this, that what Jesus holds valuable absolutely goes against everything we believe. His values are reversed. And in other words, the mark or the fruit of what makes us a Christian, what makes Christ our wisdom, the way we do things, is a reversal of our values. That the things that the world considers weak and pitiful, we now value. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying you should pursue weakness or pursue poverty, right? Or, or look for suffering. These things, they, they tend to find you, whether you look for them or not, in their own time or in their own ways. But what do we see in our passage? God pursued people who were in weakness, people who were in poverty, people who nobody really cared about, people in suffering. And Jesus gave his life to redeem theirs, to make it better at a great cost to himself. Now think about this. As I think about the, the COVID virus, look, this virus doesn't care how many degrees you have. This, this virus doesn't care how much money you have in your bank account. It doesn't care what social position or status you hold right now in your society. If you get it, you get it. It doesn't care how old you are, how young you are, okay? But if we live according to the values of the world, and if the values of the world are simply biological, meaning, meaning that you know, it's really survival of fittest, then who cares about the most vulnerable in our society? Who cares about the elderly? If they get the virus and they pass, it's because they were weak. It's their weak, and it's not survival of the weakest. It's survival of the strongest, isn't it? It's just natural selection. But none of us, hopefully, none of us really think like this, do we? And it tells us inside instinctively that it just can't be about biology, that there is something more to humanity than just survival of the fittest, right? Uh, there, there's something different about humans compared to everything else. And if Christ is our wisdom, then we value what he values. And we value those people who are considered weak in society, who are considered vulnerable in society, to get into their lives and to help make things better, even at a cost to ourselves. If Christ is our wisdom, the way we live, then that needs to change how we value things. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean. If you read Matthew chapter 5, there you have the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, Jesus gives us the values of his kingdom. And there's a lot of what we call beatitudes, right? Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And one of them is, blessed are those who weep. And so what he's saying, he's talking to people who are weeping. They're crying now. Something has gone wrong in their life, and now they're weeping. They're crying. But Jesus said, you're blessed. The word blessed means to be satisfied. And it seems to be saying that Jesus says that a Christian is somebody who can weep but still be blessed. But you think about this, under the old values, under the values of this world that is passing away, 
For example, if you lose a job, if you lose a loved one, if you lose your reputation, what's our response? It is, my life is over, and, and I am weeping. And so under the old values, blessedness and, and weeping, they don't, they don't ever go together, right? But if Christ is our wisdom, they do go together. Because there is a blessedness that doesn't have to do with just our circumstances. And so Paul and, and Jesus are telling us that we, we are to reverse our values as God shows us his own. That how we live reflects the way Christ has done things. So for example, maybe I've lost recognition in the world. And that kind of hurts. But I'm famous with God. Right? Maybe I'm weeping because I've lost something very important to my life, and it really stings. It, it does hurt. It's painful, but I'm still blessed in Christ. Maybe I feel I've been excluded in the world because of my race, because of my job, my position, my background, and that kind of stings, doesn't it? But at the same time, I'm welcomed by a living God. My values are being reversed. Now, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with pursuing excellence in life, pursuing financial stability, pursuing your vocation or your studies. We should. These are all God's gifts and opportunities to us, and we need to be a good steward of all of them. But if you identify yourself, if you stake your life on just those things, if your security is found in those things alone, if that's who you are today, you will never be a stable Christian. You may not even be a stable person because it's never enough. Once any of those things are threatened, you're threatened. Once they start crumbling, you start crumbling. Once they're gone or they're taken away, you feel like your life is gone. It's the end of the world. And Paul reminds us and his people here in Corinth with this command, consider your calling. Consider your calling. Remember your calling. Verse 2 of this chapter, you've called to be saints. Verse 9 of this chapter, you've been called into the fellowship of this son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you and has now risen for you and lives for you and is interceding for you at this very moment. He is now your wisdom. Remember your calling. Live out this wisdom in your life. Reverse the values. Be countercultural in many ways as you can in the world that you live in. Are you feeling anxious today because of what the future holds? Remember the big but of verse 27. Are you feeling nervous about what might, what might be for you in the future? But God. Do you, are you fearful of, of, of your, your job, your, your vocation? Are you fearful of being sick or your loved ones getting sick? But God, are you sad or angry or, or, or depressed? Remember verse 27, but God. Remember the grace that you received, especially in these times, in this moment of pandemic fears. Remember this, that as you do as everything you can, you do everything you can to protect yourself, to protect your children, to protect your loved one. Let's make sure that we are not turned inward on ourselves. But let the wisdom of Christ, because of the way God has done things for us, let's also make sure that we too value those around us, not just in our families, but in our communities, in our church, in our neighborhood, in our city, 
that we value and we care and love as much as we can, we pray for as much as we can, those in the world who the world says are weak and vulnerable and not worth our time. We need to reverse our values because we come to God by his grace and grace alone. If you have any hope today, I hope you learn with me one thing, that famous hymn, as we come to God, especially during these times, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless come to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. I pray for your church, I especially pray for your pastor, and I hope that as you continue to endure and persevere through this pandemic time, that you would be comforted by the presence of God and that his grace would continue to change your lives. And even in the midst of these fears and these anxieties, you would continue to reverse those values and live out your faith. Let me just pray for a moment.